unlike the first Sinai revelation, which was heralded by fire, thunder, and lightning. Moses was asked to ascend the mountain to receive the second tablets, all alone, with no sounds at all. The second set of tablets were given in silence. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 108, Sinai's Sound of Silence. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In 1964, a record was released by a singing duo with the title, Wednesday Morning 3 a.m. It was a complete failure, selling a total of 3,000 copies. Suddenly, a Boston College radio station began playing one song from that album. The name of the song was The Sound of Silence. It began to catch on, and then a recut rocketed up the charts. The duo, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel, were launched on an incredibly successful career, and the song became one of the most beloved of the century. The phrase, the sound of silence, is a fascinating one, and its first appearance can perhaps be found in one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible. As we saw yesterday, Elijah brought about a massive miracle, fire from heaven, a victory over the prophets of Baal. But Israel, its own exclamation that the Lord is God, notwithstanding, still seems drawn to idolatry. The queen, Jezebel, seeks Elijah's life, and so the prophet flees into the desert, is miraculously sustained, and ultimately he ends up at the site of Mount Sinai. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came there unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Note Elijah's words. He does not only attack Ahav and Ahav's wife Jezebel. Elijah attacks Israel. Now, what he says is true, but the job of a prophet is not to act as prosecutor before God unless the Almighty has demanded it. And there is an irony here. Elijah in this story is clearly linked to Moses. Moses lasts without food and water on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Elijah, on the strength of his miraculous food, journeys to Sinai over 40 days. And it was on Sinai, that very location where Elijah now stands, that Moses, after the sin of the golden calf, pleaded on behalf of Israel. But now Elijah, in frustration, standing on Sinai, instead attacks Israel. God then responds to Elijah in a fascinating way. Verse 11, And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood 
in the entrance of the cave. God then appears to Elijah not in the fire or the noise or wind, but in something else entirely. In Hebrew, the Almighty is made manifest in the kol de daka. The standard translation is a still, small voice. But as Rabbi Sachs and others know, it's an equally plausible interpretation. And this is, I think, the first interpretation offered by the great medieval exegete Rashi, is the sound of a still silence. God appears in the sound of silence. What is the meaning of this revelation? In his prison memoir, Fear No Evil, Natan Sharansky describes going on a hunger strike when he was not allowed to receive correspondence. He is, at a certain point, finally given a postcard from his wife Avital, which features a shofar being blown at the Western Wall, a shofar referenced by Avital in her own words written on the postcard. Sharansky writes, quote, The hunger strike continued, but now in my cell I distinctly heard the triumphant sounds of the shofar. On the 15th day they gave me a telegram from home. Mama had received my last letter. I stopped my hunger strike, but I still had to spend another 25 days in the punishment cell for my illegal refusal to take food. What was I fighting for? A principle? The right to send letters home and receive replies? So my family would not be tortured by uncertainty? For all these reasons. But most of all, so that nobody could drown out the shofar signals that Avital was sending me. End quote. In the silence Sharansky hears, in the solitude, he is bound to the Jewish people, and he is bound to God. Alone, separated from his people, he is covenantally connected to Jews around the world as never before. Interestingly, Sharansky later reflects that hearing this shofar was in a sense easier when he was alone in prison. As I believe we mentioned in a previous talk, when Sharansky finally achieved all of which he had dreamt, when he left the silence of the cell for the hubbub of a vibrant free society, then he discovered that some of the moral and spiritual experiences that he achieved as prisoner were at times more difficult to retain. Sharansky puts it this way, quote, In the punishment cell, life was much simpler. Every day brought only one choice, good or evil, white or black, saying yes or no to the KGB. Moreover, I had all the time I needed to think about these choices, to concentrate on the most fundamental problems of existence, to test myself in fear, in hope, in belief, in love. And now, lost in thousands of mundane choices, I suddenly realize that there's no time to reflect on the bigger questions. How to enjoy the vivid colors of freedom without losing the existential depth I felt in prison? How to absorb the many sounds of freedom without allowing them to jam the stirring call of the shofar that I heard so clearly in the punishment cell? And most important, how in all these thousands of meetings, handshakes, interviews, and speeches, to retain that unique feeling of the interconnection of human souls that I discovered in the gulag. These are the questions I must answer in my new life, which is only beginning. End quote. Shut away from the world, in prison, Sharansky hears the chauffeur of God. Alone, away from his people, Sharansky finds his covenantal connection to his people. Perhaps this helps us understand our biblical chapter. Perhaps on Sinai, appearing in the sound of silence, God is asking Elijah to shut out all he has previously seen and to find in the silence his covenantal connection to the people of Israel with whom he is so frustrated, at whom he is so angry. And here, another profound connection between Moses and Elijah emerges. Facing the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, Elijah sought to recreate the miracles of Sinai, fire from heaven, the awe of all assembled. But we know that even after that original Sinai revelation, Israel sinned with the golden calf. 
And eventually, God descended in a cloud, revealed his willingness to forgive Israel, and asked Moses to ascend Sinai and return with a second set of tablets to replace the ones that had been shattered. The tablets were ultimately returned on the day which is marked for generations as Yom Kippur. But unlike the first Sinai revelation, which was heralded by fire, thunder, and lightning, Moses was asked to ascend the mountain to receive the second tablets, all alone, with no sounds at all. Says God, No man shall go up with you, neither shall anyone be seen in the vicinity of the mountain. The second set of tablets were given in silence, and every Yom Kippur we revisit that moment. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik put it this way, quote, On the Day of Atonement we unite with Moses on top of the mount as he listened intently to the fine silence which was shattered by the eruption of the wonder of repentance and the grace of God. And Rabbi Soloveitchik further writes, Total silence enveloped the mountain and the half-light of a wondrous and secret dawn shrouded it. Moses alone, unaccompanied by friend or disciple, climbed the cold and steep cliffs of the mount. End quote. Our remembrance of that moment obligates each of us to seek God as Moses did on that day, to shut out all the distractions and to discover our bond to God and to our people. Elijah is being asked by God not to despair, not to criticize Israel, to rediscover in the silence his connection to God and, through that, his covenantal calling and to continue ministering to Israel. But Elijah, after this revelation, merely repeats what he has said previously. Verse 13, And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. At this point, the Almighty issues instructions anew. If this is still Elijah's perspective, then Elijah must find a replacement. Verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy place. Thus is Elisha chosen as Elijah's successor. Elijah's story is not yet over, and we will later discuss the mysterious means by which he leaves this world. But for now, we must ask ourselves how we too can encounter God in the sound of silence. Interestingly, when we actually study the Song of Simon and Garfunkel, what emerges is that the composition is actually not about a world in which there is no noise, but about a world in which there is too much noise. The sound of silence in the song is not genuine silence that is heard in solitude. Rather, the song refers to the lack of communication that exists in a noisy world, in a commercialized world in a world of technology. Just think about the lyrics. And in a naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more. People talking without speaking. People hearing without listening. To those people in the song, Paul Simon pleads, Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. But he concludes, My words like silent raindrops fell. By the word silence, Simon means the inability to hear the other. because of all that is occurring. This can be seen from the actual back of one of the original records, which contained Garfunkel's comments on the song. Garfunkel put it this way, quote, 
The Sound of Silence is a major work. We were looking for a song on a larger scale, but this was more than either of us expected. Paul had the theme and the melody set in November, but three months of frustrating attempts were necessary before the song burst forth. On February 19, 1964, the song practically wrote itself. Its theme is man's inability to communicate with man. The author sees the extent of communication as it is on only its most superficial and commercial level, of which the neon sign is representative. There is no serious understanding because there is no serious communication. People talking without speaking, hearing without listening. No one dares take the risk of reaching out. Take my arms that I might reach you to disturb the sound of silence. The poet's attempts are equally futile, but my words like silent raindrops fell within the wells of silence. The words tell us that when meaningful communication fails, the only sound is silence. End quote. So Garfunkel wrote, and we see then that by silence, Simon did not mean lack of noise, but the opposite. Everyone is talking, but they're not truly being heard by others or speaking to others. People talking without speaking, people hearing without listening. It is this silence, which is really the cacophony of each person speaking for themselves, that Simon speaks when he says, Fools said I, you did not know, silence like a cancer grows. The remedy to the problem that Simon diagnoses in our own time, the remedy is true silence when we allow the divine to enter our lives. The song's message is even more important today, for we live in a cacophonous cocoon of so many distractions. The mysterious phrase, kol de mamadaka, perhaps rendered as the still sound of silence, makes its way into one of the most famous of Ashkenazic High Holy Day prayers, Unetana Tokef, wherein, in a description of the Day of Judgment, we are told, Ubashofar gadol yitaka, kol de mamadaka yishama which we can perhaps render as, and a great shofar shall be blown, and a still sound of silence shall be heard. Our world is so noisy, we must all make time to experience the sound of silence, and thereby discover the God of Sinai in our lives. Hear the shofar of that sacred site, and comprehend what truly matters. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.